Good morning, everyone. Listen to this portion of God's word as written in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called and circumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The word of the Lord. If you've been here... uh... For the last three weeks, you know that we are doing a series called, Who Am I? And as part of the series, what we're doing is we're working our way through the book of Ephesians. And uh, we're trying to discern um, what is our identity, both as individuals and, of course, as the church. And and so far, um, Paul has helped us to understand that we are chosen, that we're predestined, that we're adopted, that we're appreciated that we are his workmanship. And uh, today we're going to consider what it looks like or what it means for us to be reconciled. Now, how many of you have intentionally been excluded from something? Excluded by someone, looked down upon or discriminated against? How many of you have experienced what that feels like? Yeah, I would guess many of you. And, And it feels terrible to be in that predicament. And many of us have experienced that throughout our lifetime, time and time again. And if you look at verse 14 today in the passage that we're looking at today, uh, Paul references this thing called the dividing wall of hostility. The dividing wall of hostility. And what he is referring to is something that is both spiritual, but also something that is physical. And in the physical sense, he's referencing the temple during the first century. Now, in the temple, there was a five-foot dividing wall. In fact, there were actually two dividing walls. The first dividing wall would separate the the Jewish men from the Jewish women. 
Okay, so in the temple, the Jewish women could only go so far, but they couldn't pass the dividing wall that went into the deeper uh, sections of, of the temple. And even further out, when you first entered the temple, there was a dividing wall that separated the Gentiles from going in past that wall where they might have gone in to where the women were. And on that wall, there was a sign that, that warned the Gentiles that if they were to pass that wall, it was a crime punishable by death. So imagine what it would be like to come to the temple, the church of the day, and to find that you were only allowed because of your race, because of your upbringing, because of your ethnicity, because of your culture. You could only go so far into the church. And only the chosen could go into the deeper aspects of the church and experience what God had for them there. You see, this dividing wall symbolizes the separation that the Gentiles had once experienced. But now they were reconciled in Christ. So a new thing has happened in the lives of these Gentiles. They were Gentiles by birth, but they were reconciled to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And Paul is trying to get the Gentiles to look back and remember how far they've come. The things that have transpired because of the work of Christ on the cross. And so we can glean some insights from this passage as well. We can remember how far we have come because of what Christ did for you and me. You see, all of us were lost. All of us were separated. And yet because of Christ, he has made it possible for us to enter in to be part of his family. In verses 11 and 12, Paul says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. That done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, And without God in the world. So what he's describing is a place of desolation. A place where you are separated from not only the chosen ones, but God himself. You have no access and therefore no hope. And the term uncircumcised in this sense was a disrespectful term used by the Jews, the believers, God's chosen, to describe the Gentiles. You see, as far as they were concerned, they saw the Gentiles as heathens, unclean, unworthy, and clearly not the people of God. And so they would want nothing to do with them. As far as they were concerned, they were dogs, worthless. But where did this hostility come from? Where did this hostility come from? If you dig down deep enough and you look between the lines, what you discover is that it comes from a distorted sense of identity. A distorted sense of identity. You see, God had chosen the Jews to be his people. Why? So they could be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. That was their mandate. That was their call. That's why he he invited them into this unique relationship. To be a light to the nations. But instead, the Jewish nation became self-centered, 
and prideful and prejudiced toward anyone that wasn't like them, anyone that didn't have access to the law, anyone who was not chosen by God, anyone who didn't think the way they thought or lived the way they lived. And their disdain for the Gentiles was racial, but it was beyond race. It was political, but it was beyond politics. It was uh, religious, but it was beyond religion. You see, the Jews had allowed their identity to become rooted not in God, but in being people of the law. You see, they were so focused on the law and living out the law that anyone that didn't live by the law was considered despicable. And they were looked upon with incredible disdain. Despised. Now, when our identity, and I'm talking about you and I, is rooted in anything other than God, do you know what happens? This is what happens. We tend to look down on others. And the reason for that is our identity is developed comparatively. Now, what do I mean by that? You see, our identity is never defined by inherent characteristics, but by those characteristics in relation to other people. So, for instance, if you are a dancer, your identity isn't just that you are a dancer. Your identity is that you are a dancer that dances better than other dancers. That's what makes you who you are. And that's where you develop pride and a sense of identity. It's not in being the dancer. It's being better than another dancer. In his, in his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says that people are not proud of being rich. They're proud of being richer than other people. And he says that people are not proud of being beautiful. They're proud of being more beautiful than other people. People are not proud of being talented. They're proud of being more talented than their peers. And what happens when this takes place is it creates a dividing wall of separation. It separates us from people who are different from us. We self-select to be different and separated from, from those around us. And it creates hostility. Now here at Trinity, we take pride in the fact that we are an international church. In this building... Right now, we have all kinds of different cultures and nationalities represented, and we love that. We celebrate that. That's part of who we are. That's, that's part of our vision. But some of our differences can actually become dividing walls of hostility. For example, depending on your cultural upbringing, you might have a very different concept of what constitutes being late. Being late. If you grew up in a Western context like I did, and if you were going to attend a scheduled event that was scheduled for a specific time, and you arrived at that event five minutes after the scheduled starting time, you would consider yourself late. In fact, you would sneak in. You would sit down and you would turn to someone next to you and you'd say, 
I'm five minutes late. So sorry. I'm so sorry. The trains. We blame the trains because that's what we do. Right? But if you are not from a Western context, if you're from another part of the world, another culture, it might be perfectly acceptable to arrive 20 minutes late or 40 minutes late or even later than that. Because the way you see it is the event doesn't really start until everybody gets there. And then once everybody's there, the event ends after everybody leaves. See, there's a different mentality. You're, you're more laid back. You're more free-spirited. You're, you're more relational. You're more fun. You're more celebratory. But see, in a Western context, the way we honor people in many ways is to honor their time. And, 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 and so there's this, it's like ships passing in the night. You can't respect one another because to some degree your identity is tied into your culture. I have a pastor friend of mine that was telling me about a wedding that he officiated a few years back. And it was a mixed race wedding. And uh, the bride was Caucasian from a Western background. And, and she married a man that had recently immigrated from Africa. And, and the, uh, the guests were kind of divided equally, both cultures represented. And what he discovered was that five minutes after the wedding was supposed to begin, which was 7 p.m., all the Caucasians were in the room, seated, ready to go. And over the next 45 minutes, the Africans kept coming in, coming in, coming in. And finally, at 8 o'clock, the ceremony began. Once everyone had arrived. And, and the Caucasians there were really frustrated. They were really irritated. And the Africans didn't care. Because the way the Africans saw it is these, these white people are just totally uptight. They, they, uh, they're so focused on time. This is supposed to be a celebration. What's wrong with them? And, and, and the Caucasians are looking at the Africans and saying, how could you be so disrespectful? I mean, 45 minutes late? Come on. This is a wedding. This is an important event. So they're just not connecting. And if your identity is rooted in your culture, you can't help but to look at other cultures and other mindsets disdain, with disdain. And it creates dividing walls of hostility. Should I share another example? I have another example that I'd like to share. I'd like to share this example because I don't want to be perceived as (laughs) time-oriented. Here at Trinity, we have, uh, we have liberals, we have liberals, and we have conservatives. Right now, some of you are saying, oh no, oh no, is he seriously going to go there? And if you have uh, particular political views that are leaning in one direction or the other, you may be perfectly okay with reaching across the aisle and talking with people in a, in a respectful way with that person who thinks differently from you. You might be able to do that. You might be able to have constructive conversations. But here's the thing. If your identity becomes wrapped up in your political persuasion, you will have a very difficult time seeing anyone with a different political view as someone that you could connect with, someone that you could respect, someone that you could have dialogue with. Because that person is living and believing something that is completely contrary to what you believe and even who you are. 
Do you see what happens? You see, that's what our problem is in our country right now with our politicians. You see, when you become a lifelong politician, you get into politics and that becomes your identity, it becomes very difficult to appreciate differing views from your own. And so we have this gridlock. We have these challenges. We can't respect one another and we have these dividing walls of hostility. You see, what's happening is when we see that other person that thinks differently than we do, we see them as being deluded, out of touch, or maybe even downright maniacal. How could you have a relationship with a person like that? How could you work with a person like that? How could you even have discussions with a person like that? Right? That's what's happening in our political environment right now. Now, many corporations are addressing this issue uh, because they see how it plays out in, in the marketplace. And one of the things that they see is what they call unconscious bias. Unconscious bias. And if you looked up the term unconscious bias in Wikipedia, it would tell you that it is learned stereotypes that are automatic, unintentional, deeply ingrained, universal, and are able to influence behavior. Okay? So these are things that are developed culturally, sometimes without even realizing that they are a part of who we are and how we think. But all of us have unconscious bias. All of us. We make judgments about every person that we come into contact with almost immediately. And those judgments are based on our personal or cultural ideology or our sense of identity. And those judgments undermine our ability to embrace that person or appreciate that person or their differences. And as I said, we don't even realize we're doing it. It happens subconsciously. That's why it's unconscious bias. So here's my challenge to you. Discover one unconscious bias that you have. Think about the things that you believe and the way you look at other people. Think of one unconscious bias that you have and ask God to reveal the root of that bias. And then ask God to help you remove it. Because it's actually a dividing wall of hostility to someone. It's preventing you from entering into the kind of relationship that God envisioned for you. And it's often born of your family of origin. You see, uh, if your family was poor, let's say you grew up very poor, and you were always struggling to make ends meet, you might have disdain for rich people. You see rich people and you just think, they're so selfish. You know, they only care for themselves. You know, they could care less about the people that are struggling. You might have those biases, and you're not saying them. You're just, they're part of you. It's part of your unconscious bias. Or it might be vice versa. If you grew up in a rich family, you might look at poor people and you think, oh, they're just lazy. You know, if they would just pull themselves up by their bootstraps. What's wrong with those people, right? Unconscious bias. Did your family prize education above all things? If so, there's a good chance that your unconscious bias is that, that, that 
you disdain the uneducated. You can't believe that someone wouldn't take the time to educate themselves and to get a degree and make something of themselves. Or maybe your family is super fit. You work out all the time. You're, you're very concerned about uh, eating correctly. And so your disdain is for anybody that's overweight or that is perceived by you as being lazy. And it's an unconscious bias that takes place without our even realizing it. If you're a diehard city person, and there are many of them here, you may look, you may look at those country bumpkins out there and you say, what do they have to offer? I mean, you, you read an article written by someone from the Midwest and you think, oh, they're from the Midwest. I mean, should I really even assume that this article has any credibility? I mean, this is written by a country bumpkin. Take a moment this week and, and lean on these challenges. Allow the Holy Spirit to enter into them. Learn one unconscious bias. Just one. And commit to overcoming it. So that you don't miss out on seeing the beauty of God in all people. You see, God is working in and through all people. People that are very different from you. And part of the beauty of being here on this earth is to enter into the mindset and the lives of people that are very different from you so that you can have a holistic, comprehensive view of what God can do and what he is and how he's working in this world. Now, here's a word of warning. You see, unconscious bias training programs that are offered in institutions or online or uh, through counselors or whatever, uh, they will help to expose our unconscious biases. And they may even give us tools for adjusting our patterns of thinking. They might. And they may help us to eliminate discriminatory behaviors. But the only way that we can completely overcome our unconscious biases is recognizing our true identity in Christ. Because what Paul is telling us in this passage is that it is actually Christ who destroys the dividing wall of hostility through what he did on the cross. Anything else, any sort of training will fall short. And so the second point today is embrace what Christ did for you. Embrace what Christ did for you. In Ephesians 2, 13 through 15, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, it's Christ's sacrifice that brings us near, that reconciles us. For he himself is our peace, He is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. And here he's referencing the Jews and the Gentiles. They were separated by the dividing wall of hostility, but now they are made one in Christ. By setting aside his flesh, the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose, and this is why he did it, His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Thus making peace. We are brought near by the blood of Christ, and we are now part of a new humanity, reconciled to our brothers and sisters because of the blood of Christ. Jesus becomes our peace. Now, when we think about peace, the word peace, Typically, what we think about is the absence of war. 
Uh, when we say, oh, I wish, I'm dreaming of world peace. What you're dreaming of is a world where there is no war, no nation uh, attacking other nations or vice versa. But that's not the kind of peace that Paul is getting at here. You see, the kind of peace that Paul is talking about isn't just the absence of hostility. It's much more. It has its roots in the Old Testament concept of shalom. Have you heard that word before? Shalom. Shalom is a fundamental Jewish word that refers to salvation and life with God. It's the with God life. It means wholeness, completeness, well-being, and prosperity, and it refers to the way things are supposed to be. It, It basically means, may your life be the ideal the embodiment of what God envisioned when he created you, when he created the world. That's the shalom of God. And Christ has restored the ideal by destroying the dividing wall of hostility and bringing Jews and Gentiles together. That's what he's telling these Gentiles. And his purpose was to create in himself, as I said, a new family out of the two, therefore making peace. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. Rather we are near to God or far from God, the gospel has the power to destroy the hostility in our hearts. Because our identity is first and foremost in Christ. Remember, the Jews needed to be reconciled in the same way that the Gentiles needed to be reconciled. They both needed reconciliation. They were both far from God. While the Jews were God's chosen people, they weren't seeing their identity as rooted in God. They were seeing it as rooted in the law. And they were failing miserably to live up to it. And because of that, they were becoming prejudiced and judgmental of the the Gentiles. The Gentiles, on the other hand, were lost because they were separated. And they were excluded from the things of God. And they were reconciled and invited into the family of God, adopted And now they are brothers and sisters in Christ, the same as the Jews. Now, when we know that our identity is rooted in Christ, we no longer have to base our sense of well-being or our identity in comparison to others. Did you catch that? So if you are beautiful, you're still beautiful, but that's not your identity, Your identity is rooted in Christ and you happen to be beautiful. It's still part of who you are, but it doesn't drive you. And therefore, your beauty doesn't have to be compared to someone who's less beautiful than you for you to feel like you have significance or value or worth. You may be smart or talented or you may identify as a Democrat or a Republican, but that is not your true identity. Your identity is in Christ and those things are secondary, but they're still part of who you are. So recognizing what Christ did gives us the power to break down the dividing walls of hostility. And there is no room for anyone to have a sense of superiority over anyone else in Christ. Did you notice that when Paul talks about reconciliation, that both Jews and Gentiles are included? I just can't stress that enough. Both Jews and Gentiles, as far as they were apart on the spectrum, both needed to be reconciled, which means wherever you are on the spectrum, you need to be reconciled. And the only way that happens is through Christ and his work on the cross. 
In Jesus, the Gentiles were given access where before they were outsiders and the Jews were given complete freedom. Freedom from the tyranny of the law. As I mentioned, they were trying to find their salvation through living up to the law, but nobody could do it. They couldn't, they couldn't do it, so they were failing miserably. But now, because Jesus has broken down the wall of hostility, they can enter into the grace and the mercy of Jesus in the same way that the Gentiles can. That's why Christ is our shalom. He is our peace. And shalom, this is another interesting thing, shalom is both vertical between us and God and it's horizontal between us and other people. It's completely comprehensive, holistic. And so no matter who we are, the gospel helps us to see that we are no better than anyone else. It humbles us because it shows us that we are broken and that we are separated in some ways because of our biases from the things of God, but it also affirms us in that it helps us to see that we have no reason to be prideful because everything that we are that is good is because of what Christ has done in us. He is the good that flows and radiates from us. And, and that was his intention from the very start. You are loved and you are accepted by God. You are adopted, you are predestined, you are his workmanship and you are reconciled. So what does that mean for you and me today? What does that mean for us? It means you need to live out what you have become. In verses 19 through 21, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as chief cornerstone, In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. You see, an amazing thing happens when Christ removes the barrier between us and himself. It simultaneously tears down the barrier between us and anyone else. It gives us freedom to love. It gives us freedom to enter in. It gives us freedom to accept and to embrace differences as a good thing. You see, God's church is to be a place where all people can come together equally and celebrate the diversity that's in Christ. Paul says we are like building blocks, cemented together. That means we are bonded together. We are to be bonded together to create what? Supernatural community. The kind of community that the world would look upon and say, that's what I need. That's what I want. That's where it's at. And in verse 22, it says, and in Christ, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So look at the progression of what God has done. We were separated. We were far from God. And he breaks down the dividing wall of hostility and he makes us a single community. He invites us into his family. So we are unified, we are one, we are one body, we are one family, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. But God isn't satisfied even with that. He equips us and empowers us to be peace in the world. And then he says, not only do I want you to be part of my family, but I am going to indwell you. I'm going to allow my spirit to reside in you 
so that you can accomplish things that you could never accomplish otherwise. The Gentiles were separated and without hope, but Christ tore down the dividing wall, so they are now welcomed into the family of God, and now he's saying, I want to live in you. I want to live in you. And, and the reason for that is he's asking us to live out this supernatural community that he has orchestrated, that he has uh, equipped you for, that he has empowered you for. And he's asking us to go out and tear down dividing walls of hostility. Those dividing walls that still remain in our hearts, uh, that are embedded within our culture, uh, they are... They are uh, unconscious biases that we may not even be aware of. But the spirit can enter into those things and destroy them. That's what Christ does. So what needs to be removed from your heart so that you can be reconciled with people who are different from you, that think differently than you do? What needs to change? What are the lies that you have been believing that could be replaced with God's truth. You see, we all believe lies. I could ask you right now, how many of you are prejudiced? And most of you would say, well, certainly not me. But you know what? We're all prejudiced. Because what prejudice simply means is prejudging. And that's unconscious many times. We don't even realize we're doing it. But we do it as a, as, a, as a safety mechanism to give ourselves a sense of security. And yet, Christ is calling us to break down those walls. Because when you hold someone at arm's length, what that does is it protects you, but it also prevents you from receiving or extending love to that person. You're protected, but you cannot receive or extend any kind of love to that person. And that's not what Christ envisioned. In fact, Christ gave his life knowing how he would be treated. He wasn't worried about protecting himself because he saw something more important in his overarching vision for what real shalom would look like. You see, God treated Jesus as sin so our true identity could be rooted in Christ. An identity that isn't achieved. Did you get that? It's not achieved. It's not something that comes by works because then we could be prideful. Then we could be boastful. Then we could compare ourselves to others. But instead of it being achieved, it is received. And that means it's a gift. And if there's anything good in it, we don't have the ability to take any credit for it. So as believers, we know that anything that is good in us is because of the work that Christ has done in and through us. And now we are being called to be the shalom in the world around us. God has strategically placed you in specific places, surrounded you with a sphere of influence, given you skills and abilities and talent and passion and an identity that enables you to do exactly that. To see his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because you are reconciled. You are part of God's family, and he has a vision for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this text today. Thank you for helping us to see that all of us are broken, 
that we have an unconscious bias, that to some degree we are all prejudiced, and yet you tell us in this text specifically that Jesus, because of his work on the cross, has destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. And so if our identity is rooted in him, we can be the shalom of God in this world. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to be a model of the ideal, what you envisioned for us individually, but also as the church. Help us to live out our true identity in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.